Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the NPM Interconnections podcast. I'm Andrew Burns, your host for this week, and I'm honored to be joined by Paul Gaynor, CEO of Long Road Energy. Paul, thank you for being here. Great to be here, Andrew. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to have you. And and I know that Long Road has a lot of things going on right now, including some really exciting projects um, in the Northeast that I want to discuss and and, um, also right here in Texas, which which is my home state. But um, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, you might want to kind of start on broadly just talking about some of the major trends that are going on in the industry. And obviously one of the biggest that uh, we're looking at right now is the IRA and, and how that is impacting a, a lot of uh, firms pipeline. So um, I don't know if you just want to kind of give us an overview um, in terms of a long roads pipeline and how you expect the IRA to uh, impact that pipeline. Yeah, sure. Well, um, I've been in the business now for just about 20 years, so I'm a bit of an antique. And so I think I have some perspective in this answer. And I, my view is that the IRA has been a massive shot in the arm for renewables. You know, one of the things that we've never had um, in this industry is anything close to, you know, what what other industries would call long-term stability in terms of regulatory clarity um so that that feature of the ira in terms of just having that duration and that kind of open field for the next 10 years or so is phenomenal um when you think about what it does to the overall market right we 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 tend to think about our business kind of for the next we think about to the end of the decade right 2030 and if you look at any of the numbers that are out there um, just citing Bloomberg for a second. They're saying the IRA added, you know, over a hundred gigawatts to the market demand by 2030. So taking a market that was already pretty healthy um, to about 600 gigawatts between now and the end of uh, 2030. It's about 65 gigawatts a year. That is a phenomenal uh, amount of capacity that needs to get completed in order for all of these goals to be hit. So um, that's a, a great piece of it. The other thing that we really like, and we're already starting to see um, a lot of data points, is just the design of the policy around domestic manufacturing. Mm-hmm. It's one of the it's one of the the policy points uh, out of the IRA that is incredibly smart uh, economically and politically. It's spurring significant developments in solar storage and wind manufacturing all across the country. So that's a huge, you know, that's a huge positive um, and something that we've we've never had um, is having a a, a big U.S. Uh, manufacturing presence in this in this space. A um, couple other things to mention the you know. Th- other goodies like the solar PTC, the energy community adders, all of that. And I know there's other, you know, kind of hydrogen and and other uh, like standalone storage, all of that stuff is great. And what it does fundamentally is it just makes renewables, um, it takes prices down and it makes renewables more of a winner going forward, right? Um, so that's that's also hugely positive. Um, with respect to our development pipeline, we've got about a 
20 gigawatt development pipeline. Um, and I'd say the, the, the most impact it's had on our process, on, on our development process so far, really just revolves around energy communities. Hmm. And that's kind of a new screen that we've been looking at for the last uh, nine months or so. And yeah. so when we're looking at an acquisition or a, a greenfield development, that's that's something that is a, could be a pretty material differentiator. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how um, those those ITC adders really impact project development and, and where projects are cited. So that's something that I'm going to be that we're going to be watching certainly very closely here at NPM as well. So um, in terms of of that pipeline that you mentioned, are you do you anticipate working toward targeting you know say 40, 50 percent ITCs in these projects, like really trying to to hone in on those energy communities and and, and focusing on that and bringing in domestic manufacturing um, or you you know kind of you kind of looking at it as like that's added bonus on top of the pipeline that that you have, but it's not really necessarily um, dictating where you're you're putting in projects. Yeah, I'd say it's not it's not the it's not at the top of the pyramid in terms of what's dictating our our development kind of where where we're pointing our development engine. It is though it's it's an important differentiator, right? So if you're in if you're in a state that has a lot of, and we have one example where we have um, a fair amount of development and we have one project that is not in an energy community uh, and therefore that will likely be deprioritized relative to the other hmm. projects that we have in that in that state and sure. in surrounding counties. So um, it's not gonna fundamentally change. We'll probably, we'll probably restack the, the development pipeline and make sure that we have what we think are the most competitive sites uh, up first and, and, and that will make us more competitive. Okay. Well, that'll be an interesting process. It sounds like I know that, um, you know, I was, I was covering the, the Umbriel solar project in down in Texas, uh, which is where I'm based uh, a couple of weeks ago in the, in the PPA that you have going on there. And I understand that that project is, is utilizing domestic supply with the, with first solar. So um, was that, did you have a, an agreement or a partnership with first solar pre IRA, pre the, the domestic manufacturing component? Um, or is this a relatively new partnership that, that you guys have, have put in place to try to capture that extra, those extra tax benefits? Yeah, no, we've, we've had a relationship with first solar dating back to 2017 when the, what I would call the Trump tariffs first kicked in. Um, right. One of the things that we wrestled with as a company was uh, basing our forward business plans on, you know, on avoiding a tariff or or assuming that the tariff would go away, and that's that's the point in time where we gravitated towards First Solar, and we bought every single solar panel that we've installed. We've bought from First Solar since then. Wow. Um, so you know, nearly four gigawatts of panels um, since then. And, and the relationship with First Solar has been great. And they've been a, you know, a valuable partner. We've also done some development, you know, they, they have done, uh, they had their own development business. They sold it away a couple of years ago. Right. Um, but before they did that, they had some of their own development assets that uh, we ended up acquiring and, and taking those to the finish line. The best example of which is the Sunstreams uh, right. complex in Arizona. So we've we've got uh, Sunstreams two, which we 
we we acquired from First Solar, uh, we then kind of redeveloped Sunstreams uh, 3, which is now under construction. Uh, and we're working on Sunstreams 4 as well. So, and there's more, there's more out there. So it's a it's been a great relationship. Um they and and you know we're buying we'll we'll continue to buy a lot of first solar panels as we march on here in, in this decade. Cool. Yeah, I imagine that's a it's a pretty valuable partnership to have, especially now with these uh, additional tax benefits. So um yeah, that's a that's a, a good one to have for sure. So um going back to to the Umbriel solar project, which that I that I mentioned, um I think in my notes it said that that was uh Long Road's sixth project in Texas overall. So I was curious, we do a lot of uh I, I specifically do a lot of coverage in Texas and that's where I'm based. And so um I was wondering how big of a focus for Long Road um, you know, Texas and the ERCOT markets uh, are at this point and uh, you know how much of that pipeline that you kind of outlined earlier we can expect to be uh, cited there moving forward. Yeah, so we, um, uh, Umbriel is actually our fifth project okay. in Texas. Uh, it, it, we have we have completed a total of 1.7 gigawatts, uh, two wind projects, three solar, four of the five are in ERCOT. Um, Umbriel is actually in MISO South, so right. it's physically located in Texas, but it's the part of Texas that is actually not in ERCOT. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty interesting from that. That is interesting. Yeah. How, how um, does that, how does that compare with uh, developing like in, in ERCOT proper? I, you know, I know that um, ERCOT obviously encompasses the majority of the state. And so, you know, there's, you know, our developers probably don't have quite as much uh, experience developing in the, in the MISO section uh, over there, but uh, how does that, how does that differ for you? Um, I'd say there's, there's really only one, maybe two differences. The the all of the aspects of I'll call it the on the ground development, permitting and land acquisition and uh, minerals control and so forth. There's really no difference at all between Texas MISO and Texas uh, ERCOT. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with all of the same kind of county and state level uh, right. agencies and. If there's any federal agencies involved, there's no difference. So the real difference is around offtake. So we bid this project into a competitive tender with Entergy Texas, which is the they are the the offtaker. So we we went through that um, competitive RFP, uh, which is different from uh, ERCOT for sure. And then the interconnection process was with MISO, um, right. and and and. Uh, if you just look at the time it took us to get through that process, it was definitely slower mm -hmm. uh, than the ERCOT process. So in terms of what we're doing going forward in ERCOT, we've got a we've got a few projects that we're looking at at ERCOT. But right now, ERCOT is pretty tough uh, from a kind of a, you know, citing new, new plants. I think that the the biggest issues that we're having right now um, in, in terms of growing new projects uh, and growing, uh, you know, adding projects to our, you know, that will actually get financing and so forth. Um, significant amount of basis uh, in the system. So depending upon the structure of your revenue agreement, um, you may be taking, you know, more basis or less. Um, we have a, we have a little bit of each in our operating portfolio. Um, so, 
so so there's that and then the other issue which is is emerging um and it's there's no kind of solution on the horizon is just insurance with respect to specifically with respect to hail um, sure. there is a there is a there was a, a major hail event last year in in west texas uh several projects were impacted uh we had two projects that were one of them was kind of minor one of them was a little bit more than that hmm. um but coming out of it you know that that part of the insurance market has really tightened up um and it's it's you know if you're thinking about citing a new project in west texas i think probably one of the biggest development issues that you'll have is around where you're going to get your uh insurance for for hail wow so that's that's, really, a, that's a big one yeah that's interesting I, I had not actually heard that before so um is that are, are all of your projects that, that you guys have, have developed in texas and kind of where you focus are, that, are those all kind of generally in that west texas uh side or um do you have any activity in like you know the east or any of these other areas uh we developed a, a wind farm uh in south in the southern part of Texas, um, okay. and we've developed uh, two. We've developed three solar projects in West Texas. Two of them we still own uh, most of, and then we have a, a wind farm kind of in in North Central Texas. So okay, but, but I I would say that if you're an insurer, I'd say Texas generally is a tough place for um, attracting. Uh, cost-effective uh, hail insurance. Sure, so sure. Kind of, West Texas, sure, is is probably a little bit worse than than east, but even even east parts of Louisiana, like you know Oklahoma, you've got you've got hail, you've got um, convective storms. So a lot of that a lot of that part of the of the country is is in the is in the danger zone, so to speak. Sure. So. sure. Well, that is really interesting. Yeah, we absolutely, you know, it's certainly a factor. That's something that we definitely keep in mind, uh, you know, as residents in this area. So yeah. uh, that, that is that is something that, that I'll uh, I'll kind of be looking at then uh, is that because I had not heard that before. Um, now, in terms of the the, the Umbriel uh, project, uh, ba you know, I understand that that Silicon Valley was Silicon Valley Bank was was part of the the financing syndicate there. Um, so I was curious if they were a regular partner of Long Rose and if you anticipate any impacts on your pipeline, um, you know, following the 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 closing of SVB and, and just kind of what the your reaction was to uh, that whole situation. Yeah, well, they were, uh, you know, they were involved in a handful of deals with us, uh, a couple of on um, a couple of loans. They're also a counterparty on a handful of swap uh, contracts that we have. So, of course, when it initially when that SVB collapse happened and it happened over the span of 44 hours, yeah. uh, everybody was, you know, uh, racing for the worst. And, and in the end, um, you know, kind of as we sit here, what, a month or so later, um, they, you know, obviously they were sold to First Citizens and we've done a lot of work with them. Um, that's the former CIT, formerly known as CIT. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a, um, you know, SVB in their new, even before they, they were sold to the First Citizens, the, the bridge bank, as it, as it, as it were, um, they funded all of the obligations that we had in Umbriel and the other deals at the end of, at the end of March. So 
they didn't miss a beat. I give them a lot of credit for the the team that was there, kind of you know holding everything together. Um, they didn't, you know, there were no issues at all with respect to them funding their their obligations. So we're we're quite happy about that. Cool. Well, that sounds good. I know that was probably a hold your breath moment there, but um, it sounds like uh, people are gonna are make it out all right there. So it's good yeah. to hear. Um, so I, I do want to move on uh, past uh, uh, Texas and, and Urquhart here, um, but the, the last thing that, that since I, you know I am covering it, and I was curious since you guys are active in the state. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of interesting, uh, some would say hostile legislation that's working its way through the the Texas legislature right now um, with uh, respects to, you know, maybe placing limits on renewables or, or you know, maybe increasing costs in some ways. So um, I don't know if, if that was something that you guys are, are keeping your eye on um, or if, you know, you're kind of already sort of maybe looking beyond Texas anyway, and maybe this is just kind of a further incentive to continue to do that. Um, well, we own assets in Texas. So from the perspective of uh, what that means for our uh, for those assets, we are definitely aware of of, of some of the ideas that are being uh, talked about and we're watching them. Um, I know there was a, an idea a couple of maybe it was a month ago or so about, you know, retroactively um, knocking the cap down from nine thousand dollars a megawatt hour. Um, that one to us seems hard in terms of kind of putting the toothpaste back in the tube, right? It's yeah, seems to be pretty challenging, um, and and probably filled with a lot of go forward litigation if it's if it's pursued. So, uh, so I think the answer is we're we're looking at it, we're watching it, but right now it seems like there's not. Um, I'm not sure like the probability of, of some right. of those ideas actually going forward. But yeah. if they get if they get some momentum, we'll we'll get involved to the to the extent that it, it impacts us. Okay. Cool. Well, that'll be something to to keep an eye on as well. It's certainly something that I've uh, that I've been uh, focusing on myself, my own reporting. But um, beyond Texas, you know, let's talk about some of these other areas that uh, where Long Road is is focusing. You know, I know that the um, you know, I was reading about your your massive King Wind King Pine Wind project in Maine understand is a, is a pretty grand undertaking and, uh, you know, has a, has a pretty sizable, um, you know, interconnection component as well. But, um, so you want to talk about that and maybe some of the, some of the other, uh, areas that you guys are focusing on? Yeah, sure. I mean, King Pine definitely is a, is a big project. It's, it's pretty far out there from a timing perspective, right? It's if, if we can get the project in a place where it could be, we could start construction, you know, in 2026 or 2027. So that's, you know, three or four years from now that sure. I think that would be a major accomplishment. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's for sure a, a great project. I think it's uh, competitively priced for, for New England. Um, it's, it's a great diversification away from uh, offshore wind. And it, and it's also a, uh, a resource that is there. I mean, it's 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 very difficult to develop sizable renewable projects. I'll call them land-based renewable projects in New England, just given right. the topography, the kind of the land constraints, and and how chopped up uh, land ownership uh, generally is. So. This is unique in the sense that it's one project uh, up to a thousand megawatts right. uh, in a part of in, in a part of New England that um, is 
we think a, a great uh, has a great resource and 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 a great um, what I call local, um, you know the, the the local factors in terms of the support that's up there. Uh, we're we're the the site that we're targeting to put uh, the wind farm on is a it's a you know industrial um, wood and timber operation, right? So it's not we're not chopping down you know, virgin pine tree forests uh, across Maine. This is this is a, a kind of a heavily worked industrial piece of property. So from that perspective, you know, it's got a lot of it's got a lot of positives. I will say it's a thousand megawatt wind farm uh, in in New England, uh, and therefore it also has a lot of challenges. Right. So, I mean, we have to get permits. Um, uh, we have to get uh, we have to figure out uh, turbine technology. We've got to go through the ISO New England interconnection process. Sure. So there are, you know, um, there's a lot of ways that this thing um, uh, can go sideways, um, but we're we're really excited about it for sure. But I, I I just want to convey it's it's probably three or four years away, and there's a there's a fair amount of risk left uh, in it in terms of getting it to uh, getting it to reality. Okay. Yeah, that's, other, that's really interesting. I get go on. Yeah. No, no, the other the other factor here is you know we're we're developing the generation part of it. There is also a, a transmission piece yeah. of it. Dallas Power has been selected by Maine to be the, the developer of the of the transmission link uh, from the wind farm into ISO New England. Right. Um, and and they also have a heck of a lot of work to do as well. Right. Permitting, land acquisition. Uh, going through all of the entitlements and so forth is is no easy um, no easy feat as we've seen with other uh, transmission development in in the Northeast. So, um, right. but anyway, so that's that's probably the the um, the biggest project that we're that we're working on from a just from a scale perspective. But we are working on other projects across the U.S. We're probably in. 15 or so states, uh, I'd say the top five or maybe the top five regions are Arizona, California, Utah. Uh, we've got a fair bit going on in MISO. Okay. Um, and a little bit in, in a little bit in PGM as well as as well as New England. So those are probably the the hot spots that we're that we're focused on. Um, and then we've got a kind of a smattering of other deals across uh, probably 10 more states. Uh, in the in the country cool well you know anytime that where we have a, a conference with where we where i'm moderating a panel or, or talking to pretty much any developer especially those active in and myself and pjm we find is there's a lot of discussion regarding you know the ballooning interconnection timelines and costs um and i know that um you know in maine you guys are kind of accounting for that you've got that with with king pine you've got the the significant transmission build out but um are you you know, is, are these issues kind of impacting where Long Road is is science projects, or which which um, ISOs, or which areas you guys are are targeting, um, and has it has it caused you to to move away from any specific areas? Like you mentioned, you you know, you maybe don't have as much in PJM as as you might. Um, is is are you know how are you guys thinking about these things, and how is it impacting you know that pipeline? Yeah, I think the one of the things that just given our kind of strategy and and our ownership you know we are relatively long-term oriented 
right? So, so fundamentally, you know, what, what we're first, what we're first and foremost doing is saying, what is the right part of the country that, uh, for us to invest in renewed renewable development and, um, and you know, so places like Arizona, California, you know, jump off the page in terms of what the the demand is. Mm-hmm. And, and and therefore we can take a longer, even though the Cal ISO um, you know, the cluster process is is pretty it's it's pretty long dated, but it's it's getting, you know, there there is a level of efficiency. If you if you can deal with the the time frames, there is a level of efficiency and clarity. Um, not perfect clarity and not clarity on every single application that you're putting in, but it's, it's, you, you know, you can deal with the timeframes and you can kind of put that into your own kind of internal clock. Um, there are, um, there are no places I, I, I'd say the, the, probably the one place that we wouldn't participate right now on the greenfield side is in MISO, right? Even though. We just did this deal with Umbriel. That deal has been under development since 2017, right? Yeah. So we had, again, we've had, we have the benefit of having some patient investors, and you know, fu- fundamentally, we thought it was a good place for a project. And and as it turns out, that that thesis paid off. Um, but to go, you know, I don't know how many gigawatts the MISO Q is right now, but to you know, if it's at 100 gigawatts, to go be the you know the the four hundredth project and make the you know make it a a uh, hundred and one gigawatts at, and we'd be last in line. Typically, that's probably something that we wouldn't do. So what we're doing instead, though, in MISO is we're looking at acquisitions, sure, sure, projects that uh, from developers that are we think are better positioned, uh, either from an interconnection point of view or from a, a siting point of view. So you're not, you know, you're not going to have to wait six or seven years to kind of get through a, a queue. So that's probably the one place where we're, uh, that's that's at the top of the list from a development uh, priority perspective. Like we're going to make sure we get through that screen. The rest of the country, I think you just have to be, you just have to have the patience. Mm. If you think it's fundamentally the right place to be, then you just have to have the patience to to get through it and the capital to get through it because that's the other thing. There's right. a lot, of, you know. It's it's not for the faint of heart. It's also not for the thinly capitalized, right? So you need you need a fair amount of capital to kind of navigate uh, through a um, uh, through a you know a three or four year uh, queue, right? Right. Well, it's definitely, you know, an issue that a lot of developers are facing. So it is interesting, certainly something that we're going to keep uh, our eye on. Um, I was curious, you mentioned there that, um, you know, you're you're really looking at more acquisitions in, my, in terms of MISO rather than, than really uh, new development. Is Are you seeing, are you seeing like a, a pretty hot M&A market in MISO right now, just based on kind of those factors and, um, you know, the fact that it's taking so long for new products to, to get through? Are you seeing like a lot of, um, a lot of M&A activity going on there? Um, we're seeing this, we're seeing some, but by no means would I use the word hot okay. to, to describe that market. But, but yeah, we, we are seeing some activity. We participated in, in some processes, um, but, um, 
but but I think it's I think by definition it can't really be that hot because of the the fundamental uh, Q Q issues. Sure. Fair enough. Um, now, speaking of acquisitions, um, I, I another story that we that we recently covered. I didn't cover it specifically, but one of my colleagues, um, you know, the 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 acquisition of, of Foxhound Solar uh, in Virginia uh, by by Dominion, um, the utility there. So I was curious, you know, in terms of your relationships with utilities um, like Dominion and and some and some of these other markets that you're in, are you finding that they are increasingly interested in full on project acquisition rather than um, traditional PPA offtake structures, um, or is it or is this kind of an outlier for you? And you you find that you're still doing majority PPAs when when it comes to working with these utilities. Um, I'd say I, I wouldn't call it an outliner, an outlier. I think we are, for, from a strategy point of view, we are totally flexible on, uh, it, it, you know, depending upon the utility, if they have an interest in acquiring uh, the project rather than uh, write a PPA. I think we're completely flexible from that perspective. And Dominion just happens to be, you know, the the in terms of the obligations that they've signed up for in Virginia, in terms of renewable targets, um, acquiring Foxhound was kind of fit much better into that, into that strategy than, than writing a PPA. But okay. we, we've also done a, like Excel is also, um, we've done yeah. a, uh, we actually acquired a wind farm in, um, Minnesota, we repowered it and then we sold it to Excel. We would have been just as happy to to have Excel write us a PPA. But um, yeah. so I think I think utilities go through um, you know kind of ebbs and flows of what makes m more sense at any particular time. Um, and we're, we're happy to you know we're happy to 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 go either direction um, on that. Okay. Yeah. It's just something I was curious about. So, uh, you know, we're coming up on, on 30 minutes here. And so I, uh, you know, I do want to uh, wind down and let you get uh, with the, the rest of your day, but, um, I would like to focus down here as we close and, you know, a lot of what we talked about is sort of a big picture, you know, like you mentioned, we like to, um, when it comes to pipelines, you know, we look out to the end of the decade. Right. But I'm curious, like over the next 12 to 18 months, um, what we can expect to see from long road. I don't know if you guys have like a, a specific, um, you know, capacity target that you guys are, are, are looking at, or, you know, or a certain number of, um, you know, interconnection agreements or, or what have you, but, um, I'm just curious, you know, if you can kind of, uh, narrow down for me, what we can expect, you know, in that, in that time frame, that 12 to 18 month time frame. Yeah, well, we're, we're trying to, over the last, um, couple of years, we've done about a gigawatt, a gigawatt and a half per year and, uh, of, of new projects. So I think, Staying on that pace or, or around that pace is probably what you'll see from us. Um, we are of the view that um, you can get if you're if you pursue volume for volume's sake. You know, we want to do five gigawatts or or we want to do ten gigawatts a year. There are some companies that can do that in this market and are very good at doing that. We that is not our. That's kind of not where we fit into it. Um, we have a. Um, we think a pretty ambitious growth program, but we also want to make sure that we execute well and that we, you know, we we're making a lot of pro promises. We're signing a lot of contracts. We want to make sure we actually um, 
comply with all of the obligations that we're signing up for. We want to make sure that the, um, and particularly off takers, right? So that some of the like Arizona Public Service is a great example, and the Sunstreams three uh, example. You know, they've got some some pretty stringent deadlines uh, for, that they're trying to meet from a capacity point of view, and Sunstreams three is an important piece of that puzzle. So making sure we actually hit all of those targets is priority number one. Um, and then secondly, um, you know, making sure that we can continue to grow the bit to grow the business at about the same pace that we're that we've done over the last couple of years, call it a gigawatt and a half of of, pro of projects. Cool. I'd say the 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 one final point in terms of what you might see from us over the next 12 to 18 months, uh, hopefully, is um, getting more exposure to the storage market, right? So uh, in particular, storage procurement, like buying actual uh, battery systems from the market. Um, there's been a tremendous amount of hype and discussion <laughs> around battery projects uh, solar and storage projects. Our experience over the last um, two years, since you know, probably two or three years since we've gotten into it, is that that storage procurement market is challenging, and you know there's not a, uh, a you know a, a very deep supply um, uh, market right now. So I think that's that's an issue. Um, the credit, the credit worthiness of some of these uh, companies is challenging. Sure. Um, there's a sourcing and making sure they're all compliant with, you know, anti-slavery provisions and 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 uh, other other restrictions like that. So that piece of it is, uh, in terms of a in next twelve or eighteen months, is something that we hope to make a fair amount of progress on. We've done, I think, well so far. But we're going to continue to kind of grind it out in that storage uh, procurement market, and hopefully we can, you know, get to a place and help grow this, this, uh, this market um, with you know new entrants and people that are installing uh, and and putting in manufacturing facilities in the U.S. Cool, cool. Well, so, yeah, as, as as that kind of develops, you know, that'll be something that we that we'll circle back on and, and we can discuss it at greater length on a perhaps another podcast, but, um, you know, right. for now, I, I, I really appreciate you, uh, you taking the time and walking us through, you know, just a lot of the dynamics that are going on right now and, and, and how long road is, is fitting into that. So it's, it's been really valuable for, for me. And I, and, and I think probably for a lot of these listeners to just to, you know, have to be able to sit down with you and listen to, to what you guys have going on for, you know, a good 35 minute chunk. So I appreciate you taking the time. <laughs>